Amen. I hope you guys are doing good. First of all, God's good, right? Amen. Um, it's awesome to be able to come and worship. I'll say this, um, 24, uh, as far as seeing God moving in different ways, has been already been an incredible year. Um, just in the first two months of 24, it's been amazing to see the things that God's doing, and there's so much excitement about what God's doing. But I'll also say this, that there's been a lot of challenges. There's been a lot of um, heaviness. There's been a lot of loss. There's been a lot of challenges. And I say that to say this, that we know when God is moving in mighty ways, the enemy is going to come against that. And we see that in a lot of ways. We've experienced that already this year. What I would ask of you is that we be fervent in prayer, that we would pray for one another, that we would pray for this fellowship and other fellowships who um, are under attack, who are going through times of heaviness and struggle and challenge and pray for the leaders of the church, the leadership. I need all the prayer I can get. I ain't gonna lie to you. So, you know, pray, pray for us that everything that God has put us here for would be accomplished and that the enemy would not be able to hinder the work of God that he's called us to. And that we could continue to walk in faith and be faithful, to be obedient, to listen to God and do what he says. Amen. We do that for each other, to, to pray for one another and strengthen one another in community. So today we're still in this series called The Long Haul. And uh, it's really looking at how do we, as the church, as believers, how do we walk in faith for the long haul? How do we fulfill the purpose God has for us for the long haul? How do we get to the end of our life and not look back and say, man, I wish, or what if, and we get to the end of our life and we have fulfilled the potential that God has given us. And so that's what a lot of this, this is really about, is how do we persevere? Nobody's life spiritually is just smooth up and to the right, but it's much more up, down, up, down, but we want the general uh, direction of that up and to the right. And so how do we do that? How do we continue to grow? How do we as the church grow? How do we come to that place of unity of the faith that the Bible talks about, unity in the spirit? And so today I want to start in 1 Samuel chapter 4. I know we spent a lot of time in 1 Samuel a few weeks ago, but um, I want to read just one part out of 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now, set it up. There was a man by the name of Eli. He was the leader of Israel. Um, he was uh, older. His sons uh, were not living for God. In fact, they were defiling the temple. They were supposed to be I'm really good stewards of the temple. They were sleeping with the women who served at the temple. They were taking more than the portions that God had allotted to them of the sacrifices and eating them. Um, Eli, their father, did nothing about this. Um, and so when we look at this, it was not a good time. In fact, it was uh, so bad that God said to Eli, I'm going to take this priesthood from you so that your line, the priesthood will not go through you anymore. And he said, in fact, what's going to happen is because of all of this, he says, your two sons, they're going to die on the same day. And what ends up happening is they go to battle. And his two sons, in fact, do get killed on the same day. And the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God with his people, the Jewish people, um, is captured. 
And so Eli hears about this. He falls backwards, it says. says he was a heavy man, older man, um, broke his neck. He died right there. But I want to read to you what happens to one of his son's wife. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19. It says his daughter-in-law, meaning Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, this was one of his two sons, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but she was overcome by her birth labor pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son, but she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod literally means no glory. The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Now let's take this and let's jump way over into the New Testament. Go all the way to the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to go to chapter 3. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, he's really in this place of rebuking them because they've started kind of getting away from the gospel a bit. They've started following some really charismatic leaders who are preaching a lot of wisdom from the world. They've started um, even dividing themselves over who they say they follow, who which teaching, if it's Paul or a man by the name of Apollos, as we're about to see. And so Paul is going to really, in a way, rebuke them and call them back to unity. And he gives a great reason for this at the end of the passages we're going to read. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who were still worldly, mere infants in Christ. What he's saying is when I first came to you and, we, and I preached the gospel to you, he said, I understood you were infants, right? I understood you were like newborn babies. He's like, I understand that. Like when you have a newborn, you don't feed them steak, right? You, you give them milk and then you give them cereal. And then I told nine, it's been so long ago, I don't know what you feed them after that. I think it comes in that little baby food in the jar. It tastes terrible. I don't know why we do that to our kids, but it's awful. And so we give them the food as they grow. And what he's saying is it was understandable that when you first got saved that you didn't eat solid food. You needed the milk of the word so that you could grow to maturity. But then he goes on, he says this, he says, I gave you, Milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. But this is where the kind of rebuke starts. He says, indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? In other words, he's saying you're not acting like people who are filled with the Spirit of God. You're not acting like people who walk with Christ. You're acting like mere humans, fleshly, just like the rest of the world. Or when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? They've begun to worship the creature, not the creator. Only servants, he says, is what Apollos and Paul are. 
through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has make, been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. You say, we're just servants. But only God who makes things grow, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. He's saying, we work together. There is no division here. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then he says this, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. He laid the foundation of Christ, of the gospel, that Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He took our sin upon himself. He went to the cross for us. He became a curse for us. He died. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he came out, defeating death, hell, and the grave. He ascended to heaven, sent back his Holy Spirit. And now his church is here on the earth to carry out what he began to do. But each one should build with care, he says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. He said, if you build with anything other than the gospel of Jesus, it's going to become obvious. And he says, it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. In other words, he, the reward won't be there. It's not talking about heaven and hell. It's talking about reward in heaven. He says, but yet we'll be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now listen to this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Father, I thank you for your word and its truth. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts today and God, that we would have a renewed vision, a revelation of who we are as your body. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So. Um, one of the things that uh, I've kind of learned through the years, um, I've coached some baseball teams, different things. Um, I, I've you know, obviously been pastoring this church for about 15 years. Um, I've led a, a business uh, years and years ago. And one of the things that I've learned through the years is this. If you don't set expectations for people, then they're probably not going to achieve them, Right. If you don't set a standard, if, if, if you don't have a vision for what can be, then you're probably never going to get there. And realizing that oftentimes we get to a place where we don't understand what's really possible. People can't see what, what, what God sees. We can't see what God sees or we can't see the vision of what God desires. We, we miss it. We, we have a different expectation. Our expectation in the church with God is often too low. And today, in a way, I guess, I'd like to be like that coach who sets an expectation, who challenges us that there is more to what God desires for us, 
that there's more that God wants for this corporate body. Even when we assemble, that there's a higher expectation of what God is going to do. Now, when you look back at 1 Samuel chapter 4, what we see in this is that, that Eli has become apathetic about the temple. He's become apathetic about of stewardship of this temple. He's become apathetic to the point where his sons are defiling the temple in all ki kinds of evil ways, and yet he does nothing about it. And in a lot of ways, I feel like the church has done that. We've become really apathetic in a lot of ways in how we look at this gathering. We become apathetic and without expectation of what God will do. We don't really fathom and understand that when we gather and we gather in the name of Jesus, that his presence is here and that anything is possible. See, when the Ark of the Covenant was captured, that was the one thing that, that represented the Jewish people, that the one true God dwelt with them, no one else. And they lost their identity in that. They lost who they were. There was no longer this vision of who they were and who they were called to be. This royal priesthood, these people who would be set apart to reveal to the world that there is a, an alternative way to life. That there is a true God. There is a creator who made all things, holds them all together, and that has called us to him and made a way for us to come to him through Christ. But when we look at this, she named um, the son Ichabod, literally meaning no glory. And she said the glory has left Israel because the ark has been captured. And I was praying with some people this Friday morning. We pray every Friday at eight o'clock. If you wanna come up here and pray with us, you're more than welcome. And I was praying with some folks and one of the people, one of the people praying, one of the people praying said something about Ichabod and the glory no longer residing in Israel. And here it just jumped in my heart and, and I knew that's the, that's the message for Sunday because I feel like in so many ways the glory has departed from the church. It just feels like the glory's departed from the, we don't even have an expectation of the glory of the Lord anymore. That when we come together, we don't realize the power of the Holy Spirit that is here corporately. Now we each individually are temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 6, but in 1 Corinthians 3, when he says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it is plural. It means that when we gather, God is here in our midst. When we gather in the name of Jesus to sing and to pray and to worship, to, to give him glory, to preach his word, that he is here right now. And here's the thing that I want us to understand is that if God is here, anything is possible. That there is no heart that is so hard that God can't break it. That there is no person that is so far gone that God can't save them. That there is no person who is in such despair that God can't touch them. But if we don't believe that, then we won't even take a step of faith to say, God, move in my life. And God, again, he, he just becomes like a cosmic Santa Claus. He just becomes like a lucky rabbit's foot. We just show up and 
through the religious activity. But Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verse 8, he warned the Pharisees, these leaders of the Jewish people. Jesus said, look, you, you keep the traditions of man, but you've neglected God. And I feel like for us, in many ways, we, we, have, we have allowed the glory of God, the power of God, to, to leave the church. We've come to this place where it's so easy for us now to just be apathetic like Eli, to do nothing, to have no expectation, to have no desire, to not come in hungry, to not leave, just with this this, this knowledge that the glory of the Lord is here, that the glory of the Lord goes with me. The weight of the glory of God is there. And I want us to raise our expectations to see this. Paul is telling them in 1 Corinthians, he's really just rebuking them and saying, grow up, grow up in your faith. By now you should be eating solid food, right? He says, but you're still quarreling. There's still this immaturity. And here's the thing, we know in the church, we're not gonna be perfect. That's not what, that's, that's gonna be impossible, right? But are we growing? Are we maturing? Ephesians 4, God tells us that he's put people in the body Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ can become mature. It means complete. It means able to do what God has called us to do. And so as we grow and we become, begin to know God more, we begin to realize more of who he is. We begin to realize more of what he's capable of. We begin to realize and pray for and expect that if somebody walks through the doors of this church and they don't know the Lord, that the power of God will be here. We begin to expect and acknowledge that when we're in the community, the power of God is with us. And when we open our mouths, that there is an anointing on his word when we share the gospel, when we share our testimony that can touch people's hearts, that can continue to change people's hearts. And what if we were people who, when we get to the end of a service and we really gave this opportunity for folks to come to know the Lord, that we were here and we were praying and crying out to the Lord, God, would you save someone today? God, would you draw them close to you today? Instead of trying to be the first ones out the door, right? What if that's who we were? What if we walked in the door with an expectation today that God is going to do something that we can't do? Because Paul tells them, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides amongst you. But he's also telling them, listen, if you don't hold on to the gospel and you begin to allow something to be built that's not built on the gospel or it's not being built with the gospel, it's not going to stand. Worldly wisdom is not going to change people's lives. It's the gospel that does. And he challenges them in verse 16 and he says, don't you know, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? I don't think it's a rhetorical question, really. 
I think he's seriously asking them, don't you know who you are? And we talk a lot today, and it's become something that's finally talked a lot about, and it's really necessary, it's needed. We talk a lot today about individual identity, right? That we come to know who we are in Christ. And it's really important that we know who we are in Christ. But here's something that I don't hear talked about very much, is that we also have a corporate identity. And we need to know who we are as the body. We're not a bunch of individuals. We're one body, one, one, one corporate body that God has said, my spirit will dwell and work among you. And just like the Israelites, just like the Jewish people, the one thing that should set us apart from everybody else in the world is that the one true God dwells in and amongst us. That's what's different. And that's what makes us an alternative to the rest of the world. But listen, if there's division amongst us, if we don't even love each other, if people don't walk in and sense the love of God, if they don't walk in and sense the presence of God, if they don't understand that when, when we come through the doors and, and there's just something different in the atmosphere, if we're not coming expectantly, if we're not coming seeking the glory, if we're not coming and we're not wanting the Spirit of God to fall, then, then, then what are we here for, right? Right? We gather to worship, we gather to see, to, 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 to know. He says, don't you know who you are? But I think we've lost that vision. I think we've lost that expectation. We've settled for something far less. That we've, we've let the bar get so low, and yet the bar needs to be raised. That we are a people who when we gather, we know that God can do anything. We have an expectation of his presence. We have an expectation that he's going to move in our hearts and the hearts of the people around us. That he's going to create a love in us for each other. And I understand this. People are hard to love. People are hard to love. Especially some of y'all, you're hard to love. But God works in our heart. To give us that ability. And as we grow closer to God and God continues to work in us, we become more Christ-like. And this body, look, with Jesus as the head, supplying everything that's needed. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus is the head of this body of believers. And he supplies everything that is needed for us to be who we were created to be. But we've got to understand our identity. You and I together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is amongst us. When he says that you yourselves are God's temple, see, the temple had different sections. It had like the outer part of the temple. It had the temple of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could go and non-Jews couldn't go but so far. Or there was actually literally a sign that would say you will be killed kind of thing. Um, women could go a certain distance. Men could go a certain distance in proximity to this one area where the Ark of the Covenant would be and where um, the presence of God was seen to reside. Um, and the ark represented the presence of God. And one man, one time a year, could go in to that area to offer sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. And now when Paul uses this word temple, 
what he's talking about is it's not the word that means like the whole temple. It's not a word that means uh, the outer courts. It's not a term that means the court of the Gentiles or, or anything like that or any other part of the temple. What this word means, and this is so huge and so important, is he means the place where God resides. He means the most holy place. And he says, you, when you gather, God is with you in that type of intimacy, that type of presence, that when there was a time where one man, one priest, one time a year could go into that presence, he says, now that you are, are, are believers in Christ and he has made you righteous with God and we sang a song about lifting up holy hands knowing the only way we can lift up holy hands is because of Jesus and what he did for us but he says now you can come into this holy of holies this place of intimacy with God and yet we kind of look at that as ho-hum when we gather together but the reality is we should come with an expectation an excitement a desire a longing to see God do things that glorify him because we couldn't do them on our own. We have to raise our expectations. One of the things that I've coached, just like I said, different teams, uh, the Atlanta Braves for a little while, but that, that's beside the point, right? Um, <laughs> But, but the thing that I've learned through the years is, like, when you see the potential in someone, you have to challenge them. We don't get to a place of fulfilling our potential if we're not challenged. And, and I'll tell, like, the guys that I coach, I'm like, look, I wouldn't stay on you. I wouldn't push you. I wouldn't challenge you if you didn't have the ability. I wouldn't challenge you if you didn't have the potential but here's the thing I, I know, the potential is here. The potential to change a community, to change a campus, to change the world is here because God is here. Because God is here. And I'm challenging us today to raise our expectations. I'm challenging you today to raise your expectations for yourself that God has more for you. But I'm also challenging us as a church to raise our expectations for what God will do when we gather. Not just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when people are getting together, but in connect groups, wherever we are gathered, that God is there to move and to do things that we cannot do. And if we can come to a place of faith and understanding that, then God will do what he promises in, in Ephesians 2.20, where he says that he will do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine through his church. That his glory would be seen through his church. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart, but God's called us to more. God's called us to more. God's called us to more. A higher expectation, a greater longing. See, and we gotta go, I know this, but here's the crazy thing. This is so awesome to me. So Paul went to Corinth. Corinth was one of the most pagan cities in the known world. 
Like there's idol temples everywhere, idol worship everywhere. And Paul goes and preaches the gospel and some unbelievers become believers. So now they're gathering. So now there's a church. The body of believers is there. You know what that means? Where they gathered, even if it was just a handful of them, when they gathered, they were the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now amongst all these pagan temples, all these idols, all these different um, false gods, the one true God now resided in the midst of all of that. And that group, that temple of the Holy Spirit where the power of God was and those who the power of God was in was to be the alternative to the world. It was to offer them something real rather than just pagan idol worship, something that was empty. And today we look around us, we look in the church and we see people who are still bound up in their idols. We see people who, 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 who still worship empty things, who are still chasing clouds with no rain, as the book of Jude says in Scripture. We're just chasing after emptiness. Ecclesiastes says it's a chasing after the wind. You can't catch it. But God says this. He says, look, I'm real. I'm here. I'm the alternative to that. And we look at that and we see this and we see where Jesus, he talked about how what defiles comes out of the body. He talked about adultery and murder and lust and all these things. We go to Galatians 5 and it talks about all of the, the sins of the flesh. And we see this and we know some of these are existing in the church, but God should be purifying our hearts in that. And, and look, there's plenty of darkness in the world. It's not just on campus. There's marriages falling apart. There's, there's people who are hurting. The light of Jesus needs to be seen. The power of Jesus needs to be felt. People need hope instead of chasing empty things. And I see it. I was going down Langston last night. I came up here for a while. I was just praying, reading, studying trying to get ready for today and, and, and just finishing up some stuff. And, and, and I'm headed down Langston Chapel. And, and no joke, man, and this happens all the time. This happens all the time because I do some repair work when I'm off from the church. And most of it's on campus. But, but I'm riding down Langston and like the car in front of me, those jokers were lit up, man. Like they, they, I could smell the weed coming out that car riding behind them. I was like, I better close the vents. I'm going to be high by the time I get home. And Susan is going to wonder what I've really been doing. I'll go and I'll be working um, like on my day off. I'll get to somebody's house early and do some, I'll do some roof repairs and things like that. And I'll be up on the roof early. It'll be like 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock, 8.30, something like that. And I'm in the, the, uh, like the little subdivision where the college students live and and they don't know that, that I'm a preacher, right? And so, and some of y'all come here. Um, and so, and so here's the thing that they don't realize. I'm up there and I'm working, but then all of a sudden about 8 o'clock, about 8, 8.30, cars start pulling back into their house. And I'm like, they ain't been to the library. They coming from somewhere else. And it ain't just college. It's all of us. It's everywhere. We all need Jesus. And we need the power of Jesus.
And the power of Jesus is here. And he's amongst us. And he's calling you and he's calling me to something greater and something better. I'm challenging us today to raise our expectations of who God is and what God wants to do and what's possible when we gather to worship him and we lift him up and he draws people closer to himself. So I want to pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. We're over time anyway. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us, your grace. I thank you, God, that you want more for us. And God, I pray that we would want more for, for, for more of you. Lord, I pray that when we gather, our expectation would be high, that we would come to worship you with all of our heart, that we would see your glory. Like Moses said, Lord, just show us your glory. Let's experience your presence. We love you, God, and we worship you today. As people leave, Lord, would you continue to set our hearts on fire and stir within us what you've placed there, your spirit. Let him rule our lives and guide our steps. We love you, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.